uh, chapter 3 of Acts, and I thought I was going to come close to wrapping up chapter 3 in Acts today, but I, um, as I prayed about it and thought about it further and, uh, and dug around and studied further, I feel like we're going to be here for a while again, um, because I think that there are things here that are for us to consider for what we have been called as a church and as we are called as Christians, as we look at what God has done throughout history in defining and establishing and building his church. Um, We're going to stay here in this particular passage in this second sermon that Peter preaches in the book of Acts. So I ask you now to stand and read along with me as I read Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 17. And going to the end of the chapter, hear now the word of the Lord. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul that who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall be all the families of earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this preaching of your word by Peter that is surely for all of your people from generation to generation. And the spirit that moved those people to act in belief for some, and in anger for others. We pray, Father, for your mercy that as we dwell and meditate upon your word now, that it would bring us to greater belief in faithfulness. May your will be done now in the hearing of your word preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you noticed in the order of worship, I have now started putting uh, a little bit of a rough outline. I'm going to try to get better with that over time. And um, in my first review and digging into this passage in preparation for the sermon, I I narrowed it down to some points. Again, it's nice to have some things that will help you. You have there just from the passage alone in verse 19, you see these particular words of repentance and refreshment and restoration. And and I added in there also 
the, the word redemption because it's connected to the repentance and connected to this blotting out of our sins. But as I dug further into it, I, I saw more in this passage that um, unfolded and, and unraveled for me, uh, I, I think more truth for us, some more helpful um, insight that I, I wanted to see broader. So even in your, your order of worship where I have the notes, um, it's going to be somewhat incomplete, and I will try to add some reference passages for you often like I have here so that you can go back and, and read and seeing how all these things connect in his the fullness of his revealed word. I do want to make just a quick note that I there in that last particular passage at the bottom there, um, I think I, I referenced Galatians. That is the wrong actual reference passage was in uh, Galatians chapter 3, um, not in chapter 4. Um, they are actually accurate words and the words I have there are the right ones but I put the wrong reference passage because I was looking at another passage at the same time in in Galatians if you read that particular passage if you read Galatians 4 6 through 7 that would be helpful to you too but actually what is actually referenced there is in Galatians chapter 3 7 through 9 so I apologize there if you want to make a note if you are taking notes uh, to to correct that uh, reference I want to look at a few things here as an introductory to uh, hopefully a, a small series um, on this particular portion of chapter 3. But I, I wanted to try to bring together for us today um, really the bookends of what I see here as how Peter has already started his sermon. I'm kind of jumping in in the middle of the sermon because he, he said some things as he had the, the one who was lame that was given strength to be able to, to be jumping and leaping for the Lord. But then he, he hones in and he starts focusing back on preaching toward them and, and giving them a fuller context of what is going on with Jesus Christ. And I love this particular um, beginning sentence here, and I, I want it to be something that we dwell upon a bit as we look at uh, those four different things I mentioned about repentance and redemption and refreshing and reconciliation. Here it says in verse 17, it says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as also did your rulers. And that was, it's been an interesting thing as I see that. Even Paul mentions that when he is talking about how God has granted him grace and forgiveness, that because of his forgiveness, I mean, his, for, uh, because of his ignorance. And I, I thought it was interesting that here again, this is referenced. In fact, I think probably Paul is pointing back a little bit to what Peter initiated in this particular sermon in thinking about ignorance. And so I studied the, the, what the Bible has been saying about ignorance in this type of context. And there was even a time, you know, even in the Old Testament, when there were sacrifices being done, where there were specific sacrifices for sins that were done in ignorance. And I was thinking, well, is this where it's connected? Is this what it's about? And as I studied further and further, I was trying to understand why is there seemingly this Mercy granted a little bit more if people are ignorant. Even Jesus himself, when he's on the cross, he says they do not know what they do. Please forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And then later on, I think uh, Paul mentions about how if they would have known what was going on, they would not have crucified Jesus And I think it's important that we stop and we look at this particular word, ignorance, and understand that it's not based upon just a lack of cognitive knowledge. It's not based upon a poor education, 
about the Word of God, we have to remember here that even in this particular context, that Peter is talking to the Jews. If anyone would know about the promises of God, it should be the Jews. They have, they're the ones who have the prophets. He's even saying in this particular passage, you are the sons of the prophets. You are the sons of promise. If anyone would know about who the Messiah was supposed to be, it should be the people who have the revealed word of God. But this ignorance that is being talked about is more like the ignorance that we have today. We are inundated with a tremendous amount of information, especially the church. That even when we go through the confession of faith, I I try to spur you on to be excited about what we're reading because it's so amazing. But we've heard these terms time and time again that it's really difficult to get ourselves inspired by the words alone because we are so familiar with it. So what is this ignorance that is being referenced here by Peter? And how much is it very much like the ignorance that Christians live in today or people who are professing Christians, people who have the inheritance of faith or the inheritance more so of the truths of the faith? He is telling them here that because of your ignorance, You're the ones who crucified our very Messiah, the very Savior of our sins. And I know you acted in ignorance, but what he's really saying here is that you were acting in unbelief. Paul, he boasts about all that he knows about the law of God and about the prophets. And he says himself that the Lord forgave him, that he acted out of ignorance. Now, that doesn't mean that ignorance is some kind of automatic out, that if we are in unbelief, it's actually the very much the opposite, that our unbelief, if left to our unbelief, we are left in our condemnation. But I think what the contrast that we see here is that there is not the kind of action that in knowing, in acknowledging the fullness of who Jesus is, in refusing to submit to that. It's very much in the same language. I read a little bit about the unpardonable sin, the the sin that Jesus says that will not be forgiven. And what he was talking about there in the context is when people are associating the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit with Satan, when they acknowledge who Jesus is and who blatantly say that it is of the devil, that any kind of hardness to that degree is something that is blasphemous to the name of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. He's saying that you're not at that particular place, that even though you know about the prophets, you did not believe you were in a place of ignorance. So the question I have for us today, are we as the modern church, the Christian church today, and maybe even more specifically in the American church, Are we a people of ignorance? Do we have resources of so many English translations? I mean, you have to think about it. Just in the last few hundred years, how many 
English translations have been provided, and not just English translations, but translations for all sorts of different languages. This is a very new thing in the history of mankind that those things are here. We of all people would be people who could not necessarily claim we didn't know. But are we a people of unbelief? Are we a people who have become hardened to knowing, truly knowing truth? And then we look on the other bookend. So I'm going to kind of fast forward and we look and we look at this call that he gives them or this name that he gives them or this reminder that Peter gives to those who hear. He says to them that you are the sons. You are the sons of Abraham. You are the sons of the promise. This was given to you first. This insight was even given to them first. This promise was given to them first. He's still talking to the same people. Where are we at in that? Where are we at from being able to see ourselves as those who are in ignorance or seeing ourselves as sons of Abraham? How many of you in here believe that you're a sons of Abraham? How many women in here believe you're sons of Abraham? All right, good. There's some women. Now, here in this age when there's gender confusion, it's like, well, this is going to get weird. But we all also acknowledge, how many men in here acknowledge that you're part of the bride of Christ? Well, hopefully you all acknowledge that you're part of the bride of Christ. In those particular senses, we are incorporately in those places. And it's important to keep those distinctions. We're not... Even though we are children of Abraham and children of God, we want to be sons of Abraham. How many of you all know that song, um, Father Abraham had many sons? <laughs> That's been going through my head the whole time. I've been, if, you haven't, if you don't know that song, you probably need to stay after worship and we'll, we'll, show you, we'll do all the hand motions. You know, right arm. I don't know what the arm and the left thing is all about. I guess it's just to keep the kids moving so they... Um, it gets really out of hand by the end of that song. But I remember that as a child. I don't think I understood what it meant, how I was a son of Abraham, but I see that more and more today. There is a phenomena occurring in American Christianity particularly that's called Christian deconstruction. Maybe something that you've read about a lot of people are saying that they're, they've deconstructed their faith. Um, I've heard a little bit here and there about it, but the more I read about it and the more I see and I actually see the effects of it, it's actually an organized movement now that people who were once evangelicals, even ministers of Christian faith, are, have created a, a movement called Christian Deconstruction. And they even have their own tenets. They have these six pillars of deconstruction. And the more I've seen in it, I'm like, man, these are right on. These are very much the targets that Satan has for the church. You often can tell the things that are important to God by looking at the things that are important to Satan. What is Satan going to be attacking? Most people would think that Satan is attacking marriages in our nation, and that's very true. That's something that God obviously cherishes and tells us in His Word. It is to be held in honor above all, of all institutions in many ways. It is to be one of the heightened senses or one of the heightened institutions of honor. 
We know that God loves his image, and we see how there is continual attack against the babies in our nation. It is the bloodiest war that is occurring in our nation is against the innocent unborn in the womb. We see where Satan is going to attack, and we can see very clearly if we didn't already know through his revealed word, we'll know exactly the things that God cherishes. Well, as these particular people who are considering themselves a part of this deconstruction movement, you can see by the things that they are targeting, the things that are truly the pillars of our faith and understanding. I'm going to give them for you here. I wish I would have listed them there in the notes for you. But let's, let me ask you, if you were let's play the devil's advocate, if you're a Satan and you're going to start a movement against the church, don't think on this too longly, too long, too longly. If you were going to play the devil's advocate, what would be the first place, what particular cherished thing of the church would you attack if you were the devil? The what? The word of God. Word of God. Any other? Family. Family, okay. Friends. Friends. People, what particular belief would you attack? The Bible, the Word of God. It's interesting, no one said Jesus. I'm sorry, were you going to say Jesus? (laughs) No, what are you going to say? I was just going to say honoring your father and mother. Obeying the commandments, honoring your father and mother. That would be a good one. Well, the number one, and it is, I think, the thing to, to be looking at, it is the Word of God. To, in this particular movement, they are to seeking to dismantle a belief that the Bible is truly the Word of God. They hone in on the inconsistencies. They hone in on the, the different beliefs, and they, they, they highlight different things that seem to be according to today's cultural, things that are wicked that God's word condones, particularly against women or toward the weak. And so they have their own theology created by their understanding of God's word. And if they can break the confidence of the people that this is the word of God, they believe that all things can begin to unravel. This is actually articulated by a guy named Keith Giles, who was an ordained minister of the church. And he's he's now saying that he has come to a new place of understanding what God truly desires for his people to do. And the first place to attack is holding on to the certainty that this is God's word. And surely you could see that apart from God's word, things do become unraveled. In the next few weeks, I'll be going through different ones of these, but the second one is the belief of eternal torment, the belief in hell. And they go through and they dissect how it was a construct of people, that it wasn't something that God was teaching. Third, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. I think they like that term because they call it PAS, or PSA, excuse me. They call it PSA which is an attack against the purpose of Jesus Christ. They do not like to attack 
the person of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting thing because people, they like their own personal Jesus and their mindset toward Jesus because a lot of people say Jesus has done these things or they like, they kind of see him as an icon of grace and kindness, but they want to undermine the very theology of the purpose of Jesus Christ as him being the Christ, the Messiah, the one who brings atonement for our sins. It even is dismantling the need for atonement. Fourth, they highlight the suffering in the world. That there must be something going on beyond God, that there would be suffering in the world because a good and right God would not allow suffering to be in the world. Fifth, they highlight the confusion about the end times and all of the hype and the craziness that is going on about different people's opinions about the end times. And therefore, they use that to nullify any kind of faith that God's word points to the end times. And then lastly, they attack the church. They attack the church by pointing out how the church has attacked others, how there's abuse, and how there's sinners in the church, and how there's wickedness in the church, and how there's inconsistencies amongst Christians, and therefore they dismantle that there truly is, dismantle the belief that there is a people called the church. And so they annihilate the very tenets of the Christian faith, and they come up with their own self-type religion that they believe they are right with God by acknowledging that these things are wrong and that these things are false. You can see, if you look at these particular things, you can say these seem very satanic, and yes, they are. But I want to encourage you or to admonish you that these are going to be the very areas that will be under attack in our own congregation, that are already under attack in our congregation. The battle is already there. The culture has already celebrated the dismantling of these things. You are not able to ignore these particular attacks. You must be on the ready. You must be hunkered down in the things that are true. And you must teach these things to one another. Encourage your marriages in these things to Teach these to your children, and we as brothers and sisters in Christ must be adamantly focusing on pointing people back to the inversions of these very pillars that they celebrate as they seek to, dest- to deconstruct and destroy faith. That being said, we must remember where true faith comes from. True faith does not come from our ability to just shape some kind of strategy to be on the defensive against Satan. The reason why we may feel like we're on the defensive is because Jesus' church is on the offensive against a sinful and dying world. What we want to do is to be established in the things that are a part of that militant offensive against sin and death. We don't have to come up with a new construct of 
principles or pillars to be able to be on the defensive. We just need to be aware where we really should be in the first place. Very much like Peter is doing here, he is saying that you acted so much out of ignorance, you even killed our Savior. But you all are the sons of Abraham. You are the sons of promise. Now, none of us probably are truly descendants of Abraham in that sense. I mean, we all are, and we're not in some different ways, but we're not in that particular context. In very many ways, we are the Gentiles. But in our day of where we are on the post-New Testament um, canonization and where we are in this age in the church, we're very much in the same kind of group as these, this audience is because we are in this Christian church society now. We are those that are multi-generational Christians. We are heirs of the faith. We are heirs of God's truth. And for us to hear as we are looking at it in the same context of what Peter is saying, just as you've admitted yourself, you all are the sons of Abraham. You must go and be rooted in the things that he is pointing out here in this passage, knowing that you're going to be under attack to dismantle the church. It says in verse 19, he tells them, repent therefore and turn back. Look at that. Turn back to the truth. Turn back to the things that are solid, that your sins may be blotted out, that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of our Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Here we have Peter pointing us back to the things that have been promised and prophesied from long ago. He is pointing them back to the very Word of God. The very place where the church is under attack, Peter is pointing them back to get rooted in the Scriptures. To be rooted in God's Word. To not be continuing on in your ignorance by misunderstanding God's word or tearing apart God's word, but to turn back to what is actually your hope of this promised Messiah. The interesting thing is, is that as we see Peter preaching about the gospel before these who were actually the part of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he is pointing them back again and again to the Old Testament, to the promises of hope, the promises of Messiah, the good news that is to come, that has now come and is before them. And he is saying, this Christ was appointed for you. This Jesus was appointed for you. And that by repentance of your sins and turning back to the Scriptures, turning back to that great hope and promise, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, you might ask, is that, does that mean we just need to be, if we just read our scriptures, if we just read the Bible, that that alone 
that just reading the Bible will be the thing that saves us. That it will be the thing that will bring us refreshment. I would say no. That just reading the Bible is not going to save you. Rachel probably could attest, if just as I have, we haven't really talked a lot about this, but I'm assuming it's so, that when you go to 12 Stones, you'll find people there that have all types of bitterness. 12 Stones is a counseling intensive um, center. And you'll see a lot of people who are dealing with all kinds of bitterness and doubt and confusion and misery. And most of them are Christians that are very well versed in their understanding of the scriptures. But they're in this life of unbelief. Well, where the hope and the refreshment is, is where the promise is. And I think if we turn over to Galatians, where I referenced before, and I'm going to read out of verse 1. He's talking to the Galatians and he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. Verse 6 of chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The reason why we are considered to be sons of Abraham is not just because we've read the scriptures or we've become members of the church or because we've prayed or because we've done this or that. These are things that are from the Spirit if we have faith. And what Peter, excuse me, what Paul is pointing the Galatians to here is that it is through a work of the hearing with faith. And he's contrasting that by the works of the flesh. And so there's this interesting thing here. There's this verbiage, hearing with faith. There's action occurring that is in our head we're hearing there's preaching going on of the gospel but it is a work of the spirit by faith we also have from paul it says how will they know in romans 10 unless they hear and how will they hear unless there's someone to preach and so I can't dissect perfectly for you this particular phenomena that occurs, 
But it is a work of the Spirit that brings forth faith. But it's always attached, just as you will see throughout the whole book of Acts. It is always attached to the Word of God. To the proclamation of the promises of the prophets. To the proclamation that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promises of the Scriptures. It's never disattached. There's not just a sermon being preached by Peter or Paul in the book of Acts where they're just doing this generic preaching about Jesus. You don't see any moment there where they're just saying, well, because Jesus is just so graceful and kind, He's just so full of grace. I love my Jesus. Jesus came to me and just talked to me and comforted me when I was going through this time. And therefore, you should believe. He made me feel better about my sin, and therefore you should believe. You don't see that anywhere in the Scriptures. Even when Jesus comes to Paul, He puts it in the context. Everything that goes on there is in the context of Jesus being the revealed Messiah of the Scriptures. And just as Paul says that There's not hearing unless there is preaching. There's not preaching unless it's the preaching of the Word. The reason why our church today in America is in a place of ignorance is that we're no longer holding to these particular words. And Satan knows that. And he's attacking that. We have, even from the history of dispensationalism, of how we've tried to carve out the Old Testament. I keep mentioning this how we've taken out the Old Testament, we've taken out the epistles, and we've really taken out the teachings of the Gospels, and we're just kind of honing in on Jesus. It's a really good strategy, a very stealthy strategy. And we make Jesus into this own personal God, shaped by our own thinking, and there's nothing like that in the foundations of the church. Even here, do you think that some of the this is the these are the greatest preachers of all time here in the very beginning of the church you would think that if what we're hearing today from our televisions and our mega churches and even in our smaller churches and even in our non churches of just people who proclaim to be Christians talking to other people that it would match up to this personal Jesus mindset but nothing matches to what is going on here all of this points back to Jesus Christ being the Old Testament revealed. The New Testament manifested. And then everything that God has appointed in these particular men, these apostles, that is the foundations of what we believe, point us back to their teachings and their letters and their admonishments and their encouragements. The reason why so many Christians or having to go to counseling sessions because they're no longer adhered to the Word of God in faith. They're not hearing in faith. Now, I can't make you hear in faith. I can't do it. I can't. I can try really hard, (laughs) and it won't work. The only thing I can do is try to stay consistent with what Peter and Paul 
What Jesus Christ has said in His Word, what He has appointed in His Word, and keep pointing back to that. And trying to stay firm with staying within those boundaries and within this great resource, knowing that just as when Moses took the people of God out of Egypt, that they carried with them the law of God. And therefore, it was seen that the presence of the Lord was with them. Some of them believed, some of them did not believe. Some of them had to continue to wander, some of them died in judgment. But God preserved His people from age to age according to the perseverance of His Word and Spirit of those people as they were walking in faith and truly being those who are children of Abraham. I want to equip you in that. I want to go through and look at these particular things that are going on, and I want us to get rooted further and further in this truth of what is the foundations and the true pillars of the church. Because we are under attack. People that you know who grew up in Christian families are abandoning the Word of God. They're abandoning the truth that Jesus died for their sins. They've made Jesus out to be this nice prophet and that they'll hold to some of the teachings because he seems so nice and so kind. But surely the law and the epistles are out of date. I'm going to be ordered some of these books for you here. It says, can I trust the Bible? And eventually you'll see them. Not to be confused with the orange orange one, it says, why bother with church? But they're they're published by the same people. And it's a really um, simple primer about the formation and canonization of the Scriptures and what the Scripture says about being God's Word. Now that won't bring faith into your heart, but it will equip you with the truth. And it will be my prayer, and I pray that you will be praying for us in the congregation that we will be protected by the attack of Satan and that we and our children and our brothers and sisters and our families and our friends will not abandon the truth. That Jesus Christ is the revealed Word of God. He is the Word of God in the flesh. All of these attacks ultimately attack. Jesus Christ. That is why God appointed Peter to preach the gospel by pointing them back to the prophets. Because that is where the hope is. By God's word dwelling in us and by the life of the Holy Spirit, he is in us. The very church that is the other pillar being attacked is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is God's people. Yes, they are sinful. Yes, if we just calculate here, if we could look into everyone's heart of the sin that is there, we would all run. It's interesting, I met with two pastors this week, men that I've really been drawn to lately and seeing their faith and as they're trying to lead their own congregations. And both of them acknowledged very clearly and very honestly that if people could see in their hearts They would not come to their church. They would never want to be a friend or talk to them again. 
If you think that the things that you see in headlines or on the internet about the church is the worst that can be seen amongst people who proclaim Jesus Christ, there's enough sin just in this room (laughs) that would make people want that alone to run away. But by our proclamation of His forgiveness and the work that He has done, that is revealed through His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are people who proclaim forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. If you had no clue what I was talking about when I asked you if you were a son of Abraham, here it says that those who believe are sons of Abraham who receive the full promise and inheritance, not just of Abraham, but of the Heavenly Father Himself because of what Jesus Christ has done as the Son of God. If you're not a son of Abraham, if you're not a child of Abraham, if you're not a son of the promise, repent. Turn back to Jesus Christ. And to be refreshed, to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, to be reconciled unto God through repentance and faith. I pray that you do. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the foundations of what you have established in Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Father, I think many times we are like what Paul has called out to the church as those who are stuck drinking milk when we really need the meat. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to be fed, be fed by the truth, to be nourished and filled by the Spirit. We pray that you would protect us from the temptations of unbelief, from the temptations of self-idolatry, from the temptations of taking the name of Jesus Christ and shaping it into something for our own kingdoms. Father, use us. We are here. We are asking for your mercies. We are before your word. We are waiting upon your spirit to move. Convict us of our sins. Assure us of your forgiveness. And equip us for the proclamation of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let us stand and let us sing the praises of all the things that he has done in providing for us this day. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen